truth be told, you know, there came a time when you were leading the church where God said to me, Peter, we're going to carry on leading this church, you're going to need to start running and you're going to be able to run eight kilometers in one shot. And I said, Lord, here am I, choose eight. <laughs> I would have made more than one kilometer. Um, this morning I, I really kind of preaching out of a, I suppose, a personal journey, personal passion is that uh, Michael and I have, have we've come across a number of people uh, recently where we've, we've kind of managed to get you know, below just the surface, the hi, how are you, how are things going. And these are people we've probably known for a long time and then realize there's, there's major issues just below the surface. On the surface, everything looks fine, everything looks great. And uh, our prayer really has been recently, God help us to become more effective in reaching people where they're really at. Um, help us to get below the superficial. Help us to get past the, the facades that people put up. Um, help us to get through to where they really are at and who they really are. Um, and so, kind of really been wrestling a little bit with God and going through Scripture. And this is, a lot of this is, is out of that to wrestle. So I want to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Paul writes to this church that he had planted and he had uh, been very, very involved in establishing and had been his base for a, for a long time. And he writes back to them and he says, he writes this to them. He says, this one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so he's describing this path that the people in Ephesus were on. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were separated from God, is the kind of the Hebrew concept of death. Um, you were you were in big, big trouble. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So just doing whatever was in front of you, basically, whatever you wanted to do. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So we have this juxtaposition now. You were dead. You were following just the cravings of your flesh. You were on a road to complete destruction. You were under the wrath of God. But God intervened, and He put you on a completely different path um, where there is now life. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. In transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, not only are we on this new path of life and of uh, moving forward um, and of growing, but God has put us there because He wants to show. In the coming ages, the incomparable riches of His grace. He wants to show something that we, we can't even imagine yet, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this amazing picture of death and destruction, 
under the wrath of God, uh, gratifying the, the temporary sinful cravings of our flesh, and God kind of rescuing people out of there, picking them up, plucking them up, putting on a completely different path, a path that leads to life, that leads to um, God being able to display His glory, um, full of the kindness that uh, He expressed to us through Christ Jesus. Um, and on this path to now do amazing good works, which God has not just prepared in advance for us to do, but God created us. The Bible says in, in this translation, I'm using the, the nearly infallible version, um, uh, it says that we are God's handiwork. It's a, it's a terrible translation, actually. Um, the, the Greek word, let me read from the Amplified. It says, for we are his workmanship, and then in brackets, his, master, his own master work, his work of art. And, and the word is, it's a combination of incredible beauty, um, kind of the picture of a, of a tapestry with you know, lots and lots of work and complicated things, but this incredible story and beauty in there, combined with kind of a perfect functional creation. So God has created us, um, put us together perfectly in order to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Psalm 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Can you just imagine God putting you together? Um, this kind of sense of, you know, when you've got to do something really, really complicated and, you, and you're worried that the whole thing's going to fall to pieces at some point. And there's the sense of God, you know, taking Wayne and, and, and starting to put him together. And he's like, I've got to get this right. If I get any part of it wrong, the whole thing collapses. And God kind of fearfully and wonderfully putting this creation together and then coming to the end and going, this is, this is a, a masterwork. A, a, Wayne is perfectly prepared for, for, the, for the life that I have prepared for him to live. Um, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together, once again, this picture of a tapestry of God pulling lots and lots of different threads together, woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And so God has taken us from this journey, this path of destruction, and plucked us out and put us onto a path of life a path that we were created to live in, and he has, along the way, prepared amazing works for us to walk in. Uh, John 10, Jesus says this. Uh, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you. Now, if Jesus says very truly, uh, it's like you really got to believe that this is, this is properly true. Um, you know, I can say to you very truly and, and you know, take it with a pinch of salt, but when Jesus says it, you really want to listen. He says this, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. They will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Once again, this juxtaposition, this picture of stealing, of, of theft, of death, of destruction. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, uh, and then in Acts 1, he's speaking to his disciples just before he's about to be ascended into heaven. And he gives us another angle on this life that he's given us to live. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So not only do we have this amazing life, but we're also going to get power from the Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So part of the life that God has prepared for us, part of the work, good works that he's prepared for us is around being witnesses. And he wants to actually empower us to do that. And that comes back to where I started is. How do we get through to people? How do we be effective witnesses in their lives? How do we connect them from this path of destruction to Jesus who can pluck them out and put them onto a, a path of life? So just a couple of things to start off with. We are created to do good works. And I just want to put that in context. Firstly, good works don't save us. This is not about trying to do something better in order to impress God. Good works don't get us into God's goods books. Doing the good works is not God going, oh wow, look how good this guy is, he's, he's doing. God's just like, no, actually, I created you to do these things and I've prepared them for you to walk in. The logical thing is for you to do them. It doesn't impress God when we do the things that he created us to do and prepared for us to do. Um, doing good works doesn't protect us from poverty or sickness or any of that. It's not that you know, if we do the things that God has prepared for us to do, God's going to go, oh, well done. Well, I'm going to make you super rich. I'm going to transfer a whole lot of money into your bank account and, um, you know, whatever. No, it's, it's just, they're not connected at all. Um, good works are God's plan for us, and it is what we are created to do. So if you want to figure out what's, what's the best life I can possibly live, you know, if you ask the question, what was I put on this earth to do? Well, the good works which God has prepared for you to do, and he knitted you together. He put you together in, 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 with fear and trembling. It's kind of like God's ultimate creation was you, and he prepared you to live the life that he's prepared for you to live in. Now, how do we, kind of how do we live in that space? And, and, and really this morning, I want us to ask some of these questions. So going back to Ephesians 2, do we feel like we are just slipping back onto the path where we gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Is that what is inside of us at the moment? Do we feel like we're struggling there? Um, do we feel like we are living life to the full or do we feel like we're being a little hammered by the thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy? Um, are we being effective witnesses? And I suppose that's the question that I've been asking myself is am I effective witness in my life? And I've been asking myself, you know, what is it? What, what do I need to do? What is a witness? Um, and I spent a bit of time this week actually looking at what is a witness, looking at different court cases, studying my friend Jared over there who's in and out of court all the time. He's a very good witness, by the way. I've seen him actually uh, being a witness. He's a great witness. Um, if you ever want a good witness, if you ever need a character witness, for example, you call Jared because he's, he's, uh, he's a lot of practice at this. Job 42 verse 5, Job says something really interesting. He says this, this is right at the end of Job. Job, as you know, the story of Job, he'd been through a horrendous time. He'd, he'd, um, he'd had really bad advice. You know, it's all of his discussion, him talking to God and then God responding. But Job 42 verse 5 says this, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And a good, and a good witness is someone who has, has seen something. Um, who has seen something, but then also is able to talk about what they've seen in a very clear way. It's very interesting. In modern-day court situations, they rely almost entirely on witnesses. Yes, there's other 
evidence that you can bring in, but the best evidence you can get is, a, is, a, is an eyewitness evidence. I sound like a lawyer now. But uh, the person who's seen something, here's Job, my eyes have seen you, and is able to articulate and talk about what they've seen effectively. That's the best kind of witness you want um, in court. Many years ago, I worked with a guy. His name is Bruce Askham. Some of you might have come across him. He's a real larger-than-life character. Uh, when I worked with him, he was completely unsaved. So he was a larger-than-life retrobate. A very good, not good in, in, a, in a godly sense, a very good at what he was doing in his retrobate ways. He was properly unsaved and very effective at it and very passionate about it. Um, and he's that kind of guy, just... Someone you meet and you think, wow, this guy's larger than life. And to be honest, I was probably a little intimidated by him. He always had all the right answers. He always knew what he wanted to do. He seemed totally confident and on top of things. Anyway, we kind of lost a little bit of touch. I knew, I knew him and we kind of had some other connections outside of, of, of work. And then he got radically saved. It's a fascinating story, but he was doing an, a pilot's license test and he was flying, and he got on his first, his first solo flight, he got caught up in a, ma- a massive thunderstorm, and he thought he was going to die. And, um, and literally, God sent an angel to protect him. Um, and he can tell you the whole story one day when you meet him. But um, he, 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 it was a very real experience, and he realized God had, had rescued him, because in the middle of the storm, he cried out, basically, you know, as unsaved people do, God, if you're real, please will you save me? And then God, God did save him, but saved him in a very tangible and real way. You can tell you the whole story. And then he got saved. And then we met him later on in a church context. And I said to him, wow, Bruce, I can't believe that you're a Christian now. And he said to me, well, you're here at church. You know, how long have you been saved? So I said, no, pretty much my whole life. He says, wow, I didn't realize when I worked with you that you were a Christian. And... Uh, <laughs> So that is not an effective witness. <laughs> Just saying. I worked with a guy for a number of years who was desperate for God, and he didn't even know that I was a Christian. And then God had to send an angel to get him saved, because I didn't do my job very well. And then he said to me, uh, I never even knew you were a Christian. I saw him the other day again. Uh, he introduced me to his wife, um, and he said, you know, we worked together, I was completely unsaved, and I didn't even realize at that stage that Peter was saved. So it's a bit of a joke for him, but it still, it still hurts a little bit. And out of that, I kind of asked, you know, I'm like, God, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a person that people look at and go, gee, I didn't even know you were a Christian. Um, and especially to people that, you know, I'm close to and people that are unsaved and people that I know are on this path, this road to destruction. I want them to know that not only do I love them and care about them and want to introduce them to Jesus, I want to, I want to be an effective witness to them. I want to be able to talk about it. Um, I've mentioned before the, the story of, of Shaida. Shaida was a, a young lady who was part of our church a few years back. And we had a, a couple of people who, who basically went out onto the street one night to tell people about Jesus. And, and it was very simple. They just walked up to these two ladies and they said, you are going to die without Jesus. And if you don't kneel before him now and ask him to save you, you know, you're on this road of destruction. You're going to end up dead. And it, it's an amazing story. Um, I won't go through into the whole details, but 
they basically knew that they were putting their lives at risk. They were working as street prostitutes. And, and a friend of theirs had already been murdered. So they, they knew the risks they were taking. They didn't know what else to do. So now these two people from our church arrive there and tell them, listen, you're going to die, and, and, and Jesus wants to save you. They're like, yes, we know we're going to die. Tell us about Jesus. So they got saved. And one of the ladies, her daughter was Shahida. And then the next night, this wonderful couple from our church, um, who've now moved down to Marysburg, went into Hilbra to where these, these two families were staying, and basically preached the gospel to them, got them, and then this young girl got saved. Um, and then they all wanted to get baptized. It's, it's a tricky thing if you want to get baptized in a, in a block of flats in Hilbra because there's no running water, there's no electricity. Um, so they managed to find an old bath and get water into it and one by one, or like half by half, baptized people. Um, so she got baptized, radically saved. She had dropped out of school. She had no prospect of life. Um, she's now, <clears throat> she got a degree a few years later. She's a speech and hearing therapist, qualified. And yesterday she sent us a message saying she's just registered her own business, her own practice, and she's going to be um, running her own business. And I just think, here's a life that just because someone witnessed well is completely transformed. Her life, her kid's life is going to be completely changed. Her mother's life's changed. Her brother's life's everything. That whole family and generations to come is completely, completely changed. And, and that's all I think God wants us to do. I think it's really, really simple to, to, to do what God has called us to do. It's really just about bringing people to Jesus, and he will do the rest. It wasn't complicated what those two people from our church did when they went out onto the street. They just said, I mean, they said afterwards, like, we don't know what, why we said what we said, but it was just, you need Jesus. And all four of them knelt down on the street, and, and, they, and they got saved. In John chapter 1, uh, verse 40, we have this amazing account. Are you ready there, Kim? I'm going to ask you to play that video in about uh, 30 seconds, so just be ready for that. John chapter 1 is um, the end of the chapters, the story of how Jesus starts calling his disciples. So we start in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. What an amazing piece of scripture. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, is, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Beth Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. That's all he said, come and see. And then I'm going to play you a video clip, um, which is very good acting of what happened next.
Rabbi. Well, this is a good night. You know who stands beside you there? This is my friend, Nathaniel. Yes, the truth teller. I'm sorry? Man is often deceitful. And Israel began with Jacob, a bit of a deceiver, yes? Yes. But one of the great things about you is you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What did you say about me? What is this? How do you know me? I have known you long before Philip called you to come and see. Don't look at him, look at me. When you were in your lowest moment, and you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> I knew it. Well, that didn't take long. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. <laughs> because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? <laughs> you are going to see many greater things than that. Like Jacob, you are going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's me, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Good. I know you like to be clear. <laughs> Rabbi! Sorry to interrupt, but John just arrived with a message from Syria. He came back? Yeah. He said people are already gathering to meet you. Many with afflictions to be healed. Your fame is spreading. A good kind. You should rest, Rabbi. We should leave early. Thank you, boys. So, you wanted to help build something that would cause prayer and songs, something to bring souls closer to God, yes? start tomorrow if you haven't seen us from the series called the chosen and i'd really recommend you go and watch the backstory to that because it, it puts it into context but all that philip did was to say to nathaniel come and see and then um we see there how jesus was able to to get below the surface very quickly and touch nathaniel at a place where um he, he knew, and he, his, his only response was, you are, you are the Son of God, the, the King of Israel. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we get there? How do we be more effective? And I want to just say this. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Follow God's example. 
as, as dearly loved children. So our, our position is dearly loved children. Uh, and, a, and a dearly loved child doesn't have to perform, doesn't have to prove anything. They, they're a child. They, they are dearly loved. God said of Jesus, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Um, there's, there's the sense of we don't have to do anything in order to get that position. Gavin, our son, doesn't need to do anything to be a dearly loved son. When he, when he arrived, he, was, he had done nothing for us. He hadn't brought in any income. He hadn't washed a dish. He hadn't he'd done nothing. He, uh, he, he was just there. He was a dearly loved son. That was his position. And out of that position, um, he, he was able to walk into his life. So follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, and then Paul goes on, he says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now it's interesting for me as these things are, are kind of poo-pooed or not seen as, as, as problematic in the world. You can switch on TV at any time and there'll be all sorts of sexual immorality. Um, you can speak to people in the city. You can sit around a braai and there's all sorts of greed that is, that is spoken about. They're not treated as bad things. There are lots of other things that are treated as, in this world as bad. But these are not really considered bad things. They're just normal part of life. But the problem is these things really do hamper our ability to be effective, to be effective witnesses. It's very hard to to get past the facade with someone if they look at your life and they're seeing greed or sexual immorality or even a hint of sexual immorality all over you. And, and as a church, I think God's saying, hey, take these things seriously. You are dearly loved children. You're on this path of life. You're walking out the things that I've prepared for you. You, are doing, you, you have the opportunity to do stuff that I've put in place for you from the foundation of the world. Just get rid of that. In Hebrews it says, let us, let us um, get rid of those, the, those things that hold us back and the sin that so easily entangles us. And then let us run the race set marked out for us with perseverance. There's a sense of just getting rid of that stuff um, and, and living outside of that stuff. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, for of this you can be sure, no moral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And it's very interesting for me, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where they, had to, they started. So in other words, may we live under the authority of God, is really what that's saying. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we kind of submit to your authority and then... Give us this day our daily bread. Then let's worry about the provision and all of those other things. And I think for me, in Ephesians, what Paul is saying is just, just get rid of that stuff which is very normal in the world and put yourself under God's authority and under God's kingdom and then, and then walk. And even when it comes to daily bread, Jesus said this, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And it's like Jesus was just single-minded single focused. I've got this, I'm on this road, I'm on this path. I'm going to show you how to walk. That's why it starts off in Ephesians 5. He says, 
be imitators or follow God's example, therefore. I'm on this path, and in fact, it's so, it's so good. It's so, it's so fulfilling to do the things that God has put in front of me to do. It's like food for me. It's like I get energized. I get, uh, what does food give you? I get energy. I get, I get sustenance is the word I'm looking for by doing the things that God has called me to do. And I want to get to the end of it. I want to finish the work that God has for me. One of the things I feel God's saying this morning is, um, and Jesus did this quite a lot. So he, he went to a well where people could dip themselves in and get miraculously healed. And there was this guy who'd been lying there, I think for 28 years, I think it was. So he'd been lying at this well where every now and again the water would, would stir. And then if you, if you were first in after the water stirred, you would get healed. Now, I don't know how often the water stirred, but I'm pretty sure it stirred a lot of times over 28 years. And this guy had been lying there, and he'd never managed to get in. So Jesus gets to him, and he sees him lying there. And when he'd learned he'd been in this condition for, for that long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Um, it's like Jesus, Jesus wants to know from us, you know, do, do you actually want to be on this path? Uh, is there, and I think what Jesus was looking for was any kind of response to say, yes. In Mark chapter 10, these two blind guys come to Jesus, and he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> now, it was obvious to them, it was obvious to everyone what they wanted. They wanted to see again. But Jesus wanted them to express it. He wanted them to say, we would like you to give us our sight, which they did, and then he healed them. The same thing in Luke 18. He says to, to someone, uh, what do you want me to do for you? And I think this morning, God is, Jesus is saying, I, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a response. I'm looking for something that says, God, I want to be more effective. I want to be a, a good witness. I want to be that person where people say, gee, you know, I worked with this guy and he just, he spoke about Jesus all the time. He, he, he spoke about, like he wasn't a, a Bible basher, but he just, he lived this amazing life and, and I got to hear about it. Not you know, gee, I never knew you were a Christian. And I think there's something this morning where Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? And, and I believe our response should be, hey, Jesus, it's obvious. I want to become more effective in, uh, in, in my life. James chapter 1, verse 22, similar kind of theme. James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we can't just hear this and go, Oh, nice word, Pete. Well done. Another one, another one under the belt. No, we need to do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror. Look, it says, look intently into the mirror. Look at yourself and then you walk away and, and you immediately forget. You know, you look at the person and say, gee, have you? If you've got Alzheimer's or something, there's a problem if you do that. It's not, it's not right. It's not normal. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so it comes down, I believe, to a response from us. And I, I, I've wrestled with this a lot, is, is what causes us to want to kind of blend into the world, to, to live like people around us are living, to... To look like we're on the road to destruction, even if God has plucked us out and put us on this. What stops us from being 
just really, really good witnesses and saying to people, listen, I, I've got great news for you. I want to tell you about, um, about Jesus. I want to tell you what, about what he's doing in my life. Um, and I think it's because we, we, we're not sure... We're not sure if we can really trust God. And uh, I want to read a couple of scriptures around that. Ones you probably know well. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. So settle down. Make a life for yourself, plant a church, get established in a community. That's my kind of translation into today's world. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So settle down into a place, plant churches, buy houses, teach your kids, grow up well, get, you know, arrange good marriages for them. Uh, it's another to- sermon for another topic for another day, you know. And then pray, pray for the city that you live in. Pray for it. Pray for the people in that city. And I think all of this starts with prayer, really crying out to God for for people that we know. And then later on, verse eleven, God says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come." And pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. There's a sense of if we walk on this road, we don't have to worry about the stuff that the world worries about. We, we can seek God. We can pray to God. We can ask God to help us. And those plans that he's, those things he's prepared for us to do, they are good. Um, he says, I, the plans I have for you, are to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And we, I think we look at the world and we say, well, kind of they've got it figured out. And they, they, you know, they know how to do business and they make good money. If I trust God completely and he asks me to do something which is contrary, like maybe to, I don't know, give away my savings or, or, or whatever, I don't know, do something radical, can I really trust him? And God says, no, I'm telling you, I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you. Not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And there's something about, can I trust God in that? In fact, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is doing, uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and, he, and he, he, he really is quite radical in terms of, he says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, all of that. And then, obviously, he's looking at people and they're like, big-eyed, you know, wide-eyed. What is he saying? He's asking us to do stuff which, is, which goes against kind of the norm that we see around us. And, and that's Jesus it go, he goes against the norm that we see around us. And I can imagine people starting to go, how, how can he call us to live like this? This is crazy. And then Jesus says, why do you worry about clothes? It's an interesting question. <laughs> Very pertinent even to today. Why do you worry about clothes? It's like one of the things we do, we worry about. See how the flowers in the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, where it is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? In other words, can I trust God on this journey of life? Do I have the faith to do that? 
So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And these are very legitimate concerns, you know. What am I going to eat? Will I have enough money for food? What am I going to drink? You know, is it just going to be water from now on, or are there going to be something else in there? What shall we wear? So it's a legitimate thing, not only just, you know, to cover my nakedness, but how am I going to be presentable in the world, you know? If I go to a meeting, do I have the right attire, you know? Nowadays it's Zoom, so you only have to worry about the tops, but, you know, do I have the right stuff to wear? And then verse 32 says, for the pagans run after all these things. Once again, it's, it's the nearly infallible version. It's once again, I think, a terrible translation. That word is ethne, uh, which is the plural of ethnos, which we get our English word ethnos from, or, or, or people. It's, it's people. It's, it's, in other translations, it's translated nations. But it's really just the people around us. For the people around us run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Once again, He knows. You know, he knows that you need them. Like Jesus knew that those blind people needed their sight. Like Jesus knew that the guy at Bethesda, the paralyzed guy, needed to be healed. He knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You won't have to earn them. You don't have to work for them. They will be given to you as well, as well as seeking first His kingdom. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's a very powerful scripture. And I want to kind of tie it all back to say, we know, you know, people that are on this road to destruction. We want to be effective witnesses. I think sometimes we, we're nervous to be radical and just say, hey, you need Jesus, like those people did all those years ago on the street. You need Jesus. You're on a path to destruction, and you need Jesus. I can tell you a little bit about what he's done for me. I can introduce you to him. I can say, come, let, let me show you, just like um, um, Philip did. Philip, Andrew and Philip both did it. Just, just come and see. Come and see. And we're nervous that if we, if we kind of become too radical like that, you know, what will the world think of us? We, we, we feel sometimes, or I do, maybe let me say, I feel sometimes, you've got you to kind of fly under the radar, do your job well, keep your job, make sure you get an income so that you can do all these things. Jesus says, no, actually, seek first the kingdom of God. Just be radical in terms of getting people out of that path to destruction, getting them onto the path of righteousness. Just be radical when you talk about Jesus and trust that, you know, I will look after you. I know what you need. And I've prepared these amazing things for you to walk in. You can trust me. You can, you can ask me and I'll respond. I... I felt as I was preparing for this that, you know, we're obviously all at different places in, in life. And um, I felt kind of three areas that we can respond in. I felt that there, there may be some people here, you've never got to that point, like Nathaniel, where you suddenly saw, this, this is Jesus. This is the Savior of the world. You, you've, obviously, you're in a church meeting right now, and you've probably been in many before. But you've never actually got to the point where you've said, I want to give my whole life to Jesus. This is the Son of God, the King of Israel. I suddenly realize that Jesus is real. 
you've, you've never given yourself completely to Jesus. You've never had whatever the opportunity or you've never actually sat there and prayed and said, Jesus, every decision I make from now on, every step I take, every cent I spend, my whole life I give to you, I'm going to trust you completely with everything that I have. And I want to, today, I really feel like there is an opportunity, if that's where you're at, where you just want to say, you know, I've kind of toyed with this thing, I've looked at it from a distance, I've been like Job, I've heard about Jesus, but somehow this morning it feels like I've suddenly seen him, and I, I just want to give my life completely to him, then, uh, then I want to say, t- today is that opportunity to do that. And you, you're going to go, literally, from that path of destruction we read about at the beginning of Ephesians, to this path of life where God has got so much in store for you that um, he can't even begin to describe it. So that's the, that's the first group that I, I think may have been. And then some of you might, as I'm saying that, you're remembering back to that day where you, you know you got saved. You're thinking back to that day. I, I clearly remember. I didn't have a whole lot to give to Jesus. I was seven years old, but I knew I had the rest of my life, and I still clearly remember standing there knowing that I, had, I was standing in front of Jesus. I felt like Nathaniel here, looking at Jesus and suddenly realizing, wow, the God of the whole universe is standing in front of me and asking me to give my life to him. And I don't know what I'm giving because I'm only seven, but whatever it is, Lord, the rest of my life is yours. And I knew then God saved me. It was, it was complete. It was, it was, I never ever looked back. I never, you know, it's not that I, I was perfect from then on, but I knew that you can ask me every day of my life. I look back and I, every morning I wake up and I'm, thank goodness that God saved me on that day when I was seven years old. I, it, it was, and some of you may be remembering back to that moment. Might not have been that long. When I was seven, it was a very long time ago, the previous millennium. Some of you might be thinking back to, I remember that day and I remember the excitement and the, the wonder of realizing that God of the whole of creation has found me and has saved me. And, uh, and you might be feeling like that passion and that fire has gone out a little bit. And you've, you've kind of feeling like you're walking through mud a little bit. And you, you've lost your way a little bit. And I just feel like this morning, Jesus is saying, what do you want? What can I do for you? And I feel like he's here to, to rekindle that flame, to kind of get you out of that, to just set you back on the path that he had created for you to do. And then I feel that some people here who... You've been faithful for many years. You've, you, you, know, you haven't wandered. You are still serving Jesus. You're still faithful. You're still generous. Uh, when you look at your life, you can say, you know, all of those things that Ephesians 5 talks about, they're not really in my life. But you're looking around at the world around you, and, and you, probably like me, are thinking, how do, I, how do I be more effective in there? They, the world seems to have, have it all together. You know, these guys are just full of sexual immorality, full of greed. They just, they, they just doing their own thing, and yet somehow they seem to be doing well and happy and, you know, they're, they're just successful. And, and how do I even break into that and, and convince them that they're on a path to destruction? They look like they're having a party, man. They're, they're not on a path to, to anything. And I feel, I feel like Jesus is saying to them, like he said to Nathaniel, don't look at them, look at me. He said to Nathaniel, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you. And I just, I feel that the answer is not about looking at the people around us and, and, and trying to figure out where are they at. Some of the people that we thought were, were doing really well, we've discovered, you know, just, just below the facade, very thin facade. There was 
chaos. It was complete, complete chaos. And you think, wow, how did we miss that? And I just feel like Jesus is saying, don't, don't look at them. Look at me. I'm looking at you. I'm seeing you this morning. And I, I have a sense of Jesus wanting to, for all of us, reveal himself more deeply. I feel like for all of us, he wants to be like Jonah, where we can say, you know, we'd heard about these things, but this morning our eyes have seen you. And uh, like Nathaniel, standing there in front of Jesus, suddenly, suddenly just realizing. And you need to go and watch the whole of that, that, that. That's probably one of the best, I think, the best episodes. I mean, they're all good, but that particular one where you see how Nathaniel tried and tried and tried and tried and, and just got to a place of absolute desperation. And then with one word, one sentence, Jesus was able to break through. And he said, wow, this is the Son of God, the King of Israel, standing in front of me, calling me. So when Jesus says, you know, do you want to come with me? He's like, yes, I do. I feel like there's Jesus just saying, don't, don't look at them, look at me. And then I will give you the words you need to speak. I'll give you the insights. I'll give you the, the, the access into people's lives. So how do we increase our effectiveness? We give our lives completely to Jesus. We keep our eyes on him. And we trust that he has, we trust him. We trust him. We trust him that he's going to do good for us. Let's pray together. I don't know, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what thoughts are going through your head. I don't know what experiences you've had this week. I don't know what, I don't know where you're at. All I can see is a bunch of faces before me and you all look like you're doing Okay. But as I've preached, I trust that the Holy Spirit has identified just something in, in one of those three categories. If you're, if you're at a place where you've never said, Jesus, I want to give my whole life to you, unashamedly, unreservedly, everything I want to give to you. I want to, I want to get off that path of destruction. Jesus, this morning, please will you save me? I believe all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is reach out and say, Jesus, please will you save me? Like that friend of mine, Bruce Askim, he, he didn't even know if God was real. He just said, God, if you're real, please will you rescue me? Please will you save me? And God has saved him in so many more ways than he could ever have imagined. So if that's you this morning, I, I want to just encourage you. In your heart, just say, God, Jesus, please save me. If, you, if you're in a place where you're feeling cold or you well, you're just feeling ineffective. I believe Jesus is saying, just look to me this morning and let me rekindle that flame. Let me give you the words to speak. Let me put courage in your heart. Trust me. Trust me in this. Trust me that if you sound a little bit weird or, um, or kind of as the world would say, just religious or crazy religious, trust me. Trust me. I have so many good things planned for you. I have such an amazing path for you to walk on. I want you, and I believe God is speaking to us as a church, I want Upper Room Church to be an effective church, to get below the veneer, to get below the facades of people, to touch people where they really are. And, um, and just, I, I, I honestly feel that God has some radical salvations in store for us. And so if you're in that place, just say to Jesus, Jesus, I, 
I want to be that person who's able to say the right things, like you, Jesus, did. I want to follow your example. As you spoke to Nathaniel, you knew what to say. And, um, and it's not complicated. And I think many times it's just about saying, like Philip did, come and see. We get into conversations and people say, well, what is it about Jesus? You just, say, just come and see. Let me show you him and then let Jesus do the rest. And Jesus, I pray, I pray for us as a church. I pray for myself that we would become so much more effective at getting, getting through to people, at, um, at not letting them reach a place of, of absolute rock bottom before we, we have the opportunity to speak to them. Help us to be people that are good witnesses of what we've seen and heard, that are reliable witnesses. Your word speaks about us being like ambassadors. We, we represent a different kingdom, a different nation, a different country. Help us to be like that. Help us not to be like the people around us in this world, running after those things that they so desperately want. Let us be confident enough to trust that you will give to us those things as well as everything else. We look to you this morning, Lord, and we say, Jesus, we need you. If you're asking us what we want, we need you, first and foremost. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the courage to be able to say the words that we we feel that you're asking us to say. And Father, I pray that we would see many, many salvations over the next weeks and months in the friendship circles, work colleagues, family, whatever it is, people linked to Upper Room Church. And that we would be able to celebrate lives being plucked from that path of destruction and placed on that path of life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.